Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, September the 16th, 2023. It is currently 4.44 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, a little while ago, I was not in my studio. I was downstairs. I was sitting on my couch watching college football, right? That's what I was doing. I was watching college football, thinking about maybe listening to a little music. As I watched college football, I was just trying to figure out which what, which I was going to focus. I went to different games. I think it was Oklahoma and Tulsa. Was it Minnesota versus, who were they playing? Uh, no, North Carolina versus Minnesota. And I can't remember. None of the games were super close. I was like, okay, I think Notre Dame was winning, meaning everything is right in the world. Okay. But, you know, of course, the game everyone's looking for is Colorado, right? That's the game everyone wants to watch now, which begins at 9 p.m. correct time, Texas time. So I'm trying to get all of my sermon prep ready. I'm trying to do all that, trying to keep up with a couple of games, Try just trying to do a, all the things I would like to do on a Saturday. And then I received an email. An email, re- I received an email at 3.03 p.m. The email reads... Like this, any idea what basically what it is, what it means to be hot or cold, lukewarm, and he will spit us out of his mouth. What, what does it mean when we read basically in the book of Revelation, hot, cold, lukewarm, and he will spit us out of his mouth? Well, what does that mean? It says no rush. My wife and I were discussing this. She's asking about other things too. I told her one thing at a time, please. Okay, well, you can send a whole list of questions and I will always try to get to them. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice, I received that email at 3.03 p.m. It is now 4.46 p.m. on the exact same day. And here I am behind the microphone. I'm going to do my very best. I really try, I really, really try to use this podcast to benefit other people, not just to what I want to do. So I, I, I'm going to do my very best to try to work through this. Um, I, this is something about, and just a couple of things here, just to try to try to explain my philosophy when it comes to questions. I'm more like when someone asks me a question, I'm more like, okay, well, let's work on this. Let's, let's dig in. Let's, let's work together. And I kind of see it more like as a team effort, right? I don't like that. Well, thank you so very much for emailing me, the so-called authority. So let me just tell you what it means. See, when we read in Revelation, it actually means this. So, And I could just state it in a very authoritative, dogmatic way. And I know that's what a lot of Christian podcasters do. That's how a lot of uh, pastors do it. I reject that. I'm more like, well, all right, what do you think? Let's 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 just try to take it apart. And I try to what I try to do, this is my I, I I'm not saying I always accomplish this. I try to take what my what my immediate thoughts are, what my answer, what I think my answer would be, and I try to throw all of that out. I try to because those are all my presuppositions, right? That's how I may have answered the question yesterday. But how I would have answered the question yesterday is is irrelevant today. So I try to open up the Bible again, dig into the text again, 
and see what we can discover and see what we can find and look at what our options are and how those options would work or how they wouldn't work. So um, I, I try to kind of see it more like, hey, all right, let's dig in. Let's try to figure it out. And I'm not going to bring what I think into it. We're going to just try to discover it again together and that we're trying to work together. I, I, I don't like that just Hey, you email me and I just turn on the microphone and say, well, we received a, you know, a question from so-and-so from such, such and such place. And here's our supposed authoritative answers because we're the men sitting in front of a microphone or we're the men with a Christian radio program or because I'm a pastor. I'm like, well, you got a Bible. I got a Bible. Let's dig in and see what can happen and let's put it together. And maybe it will take one broadcast. Maybe it will take two. Maybe it will take three. Sometimes these kinds of things turn into a series. I never know what's going to happen. But I thought we would try to spend some Saturday, some time this Saturday afternoon going into Saturday evening to do a little work. I, I, I wanted to do something on Second John based off our study, uh, um, our ongoing study on sanctification. So I was building some things to do there. But you know what? Here we go. This, this move. Remember, I always say your emails moves to the top of the list. So we're in Revelation. I think everyone knows that whole idea about hot, cold, lukewarm. I will spit you out of your mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth. What does that mean? How, how do we understand that? Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 3, and we are going to look at the message to the church of Laodicea, all right, Laodicea. Now, there's a couple of things I would challenge you to do. Just because we've been referencing the Schofield Reference Bible and our ongoing study on dispensationalism, if you have a Schofield Reference Bible and you look at the note on page 1331, he he gives some he says the message the messages to the seven churches have a fourfold application and some of these applications are interesting he has kind of a fascinating one this is before we even get to the actual text uh, to the message to the church of, of Laodicea we remember that this this is found in a broader context right there are the messages to the seven churches, right? I think we have to remember that. We can't just forget that as we try to answer this question about what it means to be spewed out of his mouth and and hot, cold, lukewarm. How do we understand that? Because I think there's, I, I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding about that. But we'll we'll look into that in a minute. But here, I want you to look at what Schofield says as the fourth application to the messages to the seven seven church. He says this. He says that one of the applications is prophetic as disclosing seven phases of the spiritual history of the church from, say, A.D. 96 to the end. According to Schofield, he thinks that one of the applications of the messages to the seventh church is that it's prophetic and it discloses seven phases of the spiritual history of the church. That if you follow these messages, that it builds these, that here's phase number one of the spiritual condition of the church. Here's phase number two. Here's phase number three. Here's phase number four. And it starts from 96 to the end. He goes on to say, it is, inc- it is incredible that in prophecy, uh, it, is, it is incredible that in a prophecy covering the church period, there should be no such foreview. 
these messages must contain that for view if it is in the book at all, for the church does not appear after chapter 3, verse 22. All right? And so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting what he has to say. Now, when you get then, if you follow this, right, if you if you follow these messages then, all right, um, I, I could I could read, oh, there's so much here we could read about these messages, right? Like, for example, all right, for example, if you go to chapter two and you look at the Schofield Reference Bible, he says, all right, so he has chapter two underneath it. It says part two, the things which uh, which are the seven churches. And then he says the message to Ephesus, the church at the end of the apostolic age. So he says the message to the church of, of Ephesus describes the spiritual condition of phase number one, which is the church at the end of the apostolic age. Now he he tries to elaborate this. It's interesting. It's kind of fascinating. I I I'm I look. I'm not convinced in any way, shape, or form that application is accurate. I'm not sure that this is a prophetic outline of seven stages of the spiritual condition of the church. But it does demonstrate how he interprets this because when he gets to um, the last one, the message to Laodicea. He calls this the final state, the final state of apostasy. The final state of apostasy. Now, this raises some very important interpretive and theological questions, right? Because many, depending on your eschatology, I see sometimes these simple, these questions are not simple because there's so much going on. There's always these bigger concepts that can so impact how you interpret the small, the verse or two verses or a phrase, right? There's these deeper theological issues. So let me, let me try to explain this and see if this helps you. When we look at this idea, wait, he's going to spit these people out of their mouth. Well, then wait a minute. Does that mean they lost their salvation? Does it mean they never had their salvation? Is that just a, a hyperbolic way of saying you're going to be judged? How do we understand that phrase? And you start getting into questions about lose your salvation, eternal security. Well, no, your actions prove your salvation. People go, but, but wait, wait, wait. If, 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 and I stress the if like 15 times. If Schofield approach, if there's any truth to it, that this is describing Basically, the church in that time of great apostasy, right? If you're now not everyone's eschatology is the same. If you hold to an eschatology that things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and that the church is going to get so bad, for example, let me connect this. Now, I know we want to get, I know we want to jump right in. I know we want to jump right in, and I apologize, but um, let me. Let's see here. Let's go to, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me just show you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. 
Now, I want to make this very clear. That is not a reference. 2 Timothy 3 is not a reference to what will be going on in the culture. 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3 seems to be a prophetic description of what will happen in the church. Because you would never look at the world and say, wait, they love pleasure more than God. When would the world ever not love pleasure more than God? This is the church. Even within the church, there's going to reach a point where they love pleasure more than they love God. They're going to have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. There's coming a time that the church is going to be so apostate that really for a Christian, you're going to have to leave the church. Now, nobody's ever really worked this out exactly what that looks like practically. Like you're the Christian and you're like, no, I love God and I want to serve God. And you're like, I got to leave the church that the believers will be outside of the church because inside the church that you're going to see all of those things that we just read there. That's going to be inside the church. Now, not everyone's eschatology agrees with that. Some people take second Timothy three to say, that's how, that's what's going to happen in the world. I'm saying that's what's going to happen in the church. And I think it is prophetic. And I think things will get worse and worse and worse. And the church is going to get worse and worse and worse. Now, if you imply, if you take that system, that way of understanding, and if you apply that to the church of Laodicea saying, this is really describing not only the church then, but it's ultimately describing a church in the future during the great apostasy, then you may interpret it one way. But I believe that it is primarily referring to a church that existed in that specific time. But I just want you to see that there are lots of implications that we could get into here, right? But Schofield clearly believes that at least one of the applications here, he does believe it is to also be applied to the churches at the time this was written, that there were real churches that existed. He doesn't deny that, but he seems to really put the emphasis on, wait, this is looking to the church in the future. And so then he says right here on his heading, the final state of apostasy, that this is where the church is ultimately going to go. You can consider the prophetic ramifications, but we have to try to still step back and go, well, wait a minute, what was going on in the church of Laodicea and how do we understand it? Now, we're going to read the 22 verses, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. I know the person who emailed me, if they're listening, they're like, we just want to know what it means, lukewarm, cold, hot, be, you know, spit out of his mouth. And I know, but I can't just answer it that way, all right? I mean, I want you to get your money's worth, right? You got to get your money's worth here. So here we go. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of, of the Laodiceans. Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and thou have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thou that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou that I if I can read correctly, that thou mayest see as many as I love, 
I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. I think verse 20 is one of the most shocking verses in the whole text. The spewing out of the mouth, maybe, all right, but okay. So, because there's a lot of implications in verse 20. Verse 21, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even I also over, as I also overcome and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, before we dig in, here's the obvious difficulty with this verse, and it raises lots of questions. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I am lukewarm, God is going to throw me out, out, basically. He's going to spew me out of his mouth. All right. Then you start going, well, what does it mean to be lukewarm? What does it mean to be lukewarm? He wants me either cold or hot, but lukewarm is going to be thrown out. It's going to be spit out. I mean, let me read that to you again because it raises some serious questions, right? I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. And immediately like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are the signs of being lukewarm? Right? So some preachers will give you like four or five signs of being lukewarm where you don't really, and they'll say, you know, you either are passionate, you are passionate for God, or you're cold against him, but lukewarm, God will not tolerate. And you would be like, well, wait a minute. He'll tolerate cold, but he won't tolerate lukewarm? <laughs> so if I'm cold against God, I'm okay. But if I'm lukewarm, I get thrown out? Or you say, well, you're either hot but if you're lukewarm, you're going to be thrown and cold. Well, you're obviously already rejected. So the only thing that can, can, can keep you is you have to be hot. Okay. Well, let's just say now you've got two options here. One, this means you can lose your salvation. If you don't remain hot, whatever that is, you can lose your salvation. Well, most, many Christians say, well, no, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Others will say you don't lose it. But if you do not demonstrate in your Christian life a zeal and a quote unquote hotness for God, well, then it proves you were never saved. Meaning you have to be hot in order to prove you saved. So then how do you ever know if you're hot enough in order to be saved? How do you know if you've not become lukewarm and supposedly prove that you're never saved? And both of those scenarios, you leave people with no, always questioning their salvation, probably never knowing if they're actually saved and really not figure, and probably don't even have an articulate way to really describe what it means to be hot or what it means to be lukewarm or even really what it means to be cold. So that just leads to lots of, of confusion. So let's try to break this passage down a little bit and see what we can come up with. And see if we can come up with some answers. All right? Let, let's see if we can come up with. First, let's try to break this section down into some individual parts. Right? And see what we can come up with. Right? Let's see what we can come up with. Some people break this letter, this message down into three parts. I think there's a little bit more here to this. Um, let's start in verse 14 and see what we can come up with. All right? Uh Revelation 3.14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the amen, the faithful and true, 
uh, witness the beginning of the creation of God. I think we can call you can call this maybe the prologue, or you can call this the introduction. The introduction, and unto the angel of the church, we have uh, right. We have kind of who the. The, the, uh, we have a message being given to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Uh, write these things, saith. We have the person who is giving the message, and this person is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. All right, we have we get some introductory material identifying maybe the messenger whom the message is to, right? We, we get some basic information here. Now, we could really take that apart, but you, you, I'm, we're just going to call that the introduction. So we'll call verse 14 the introduction or the prologue. Now, what happens in 15 and 16? Well, we, we get this, these words. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. I'm going to call this, so I think part one, we'll call that the prologue or the introduction. I'm going to say part two covers 15 and 16. And I'm like, this is the warning. This is the warning. Hey, do not be lukewarm or I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I think there is the warning. I'm going to call that the warning. All right. Then part three, look at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I'm going to call this. So 15 and 16 is the warning call. And I'm going to call verse 17. You can call it the ignorance or the blindness. They just don't see their real condition. They're ignorant of their real condition. They're blind of their real condition. I mean, look at that. I mean, that, that is a powerful statement because they walk around. So, so the people within the church of Laodicea, they're walking around going, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. But they do not even know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They don't see their condition. They're ignorant of it. They're blind to it. So we have the introduction in verse 14. That's part one. Part two, we have the warning. Hey, don't be lukewarm or I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's verses 15 and 16. And then part three, we have the blindness. They don't even realize how serious the situation is. They're walking around going, it's all good. You're good. I'm good. Everybody's good. All right. Now look at what happens in verse 18 and 19. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eye, right? He wants them to anoint their eye with some kind of ointment or eye salve, the way, the way it's written in the King James, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. Now, part four, to me, part four may be more, it just really, I don't know what, you know, I think everyone jumps at the lukewarm spew you out of the mouth, but this one seemed just as kind of confusing to me as the spew out of your mouth, because we're going to call this one the solution. Verses 18 and 19 has the solution. You're lukewarm and you're, you don't realize your condition, but here's all the things you're supposed to do. Buy of me gold. How do you buy of God gold? It's gold tried in fire that you may be rich, buy gold from God so that you can be rich, uh, buy white raiment that you may be clothed, 
um, and your shame and your nakedness and up, anoint thine eye with eyes with eye salve. How do you, where do you get this ointment? What is this ointment? Um, and then uh, be zealous, therefore, and repent. These are all things you do this. Do, how do you do these things? What, do they, what does it mean to do these things? How do you interpret how to do these things? If you're worried about being lukewarm and you're trying to figure out what does it mean to be spit out of his mouth, you better be more worried about what is the, how do you solve the problem? Well, it, I don't know. What does it mean to do all of those things? Right then, verse twenty. I don't even know what to call verse twenty. Right, so part one is the introduction or the prologue. That's verse fourteen. Part two is the warning. Hey, don't be lukewarm. You're going to get spit out of his mouth. That's verse fifteen and sixteen. Verse seventeen is, hey guys, you don't even you, you you're ignorant of your own condition. You're blind to it. That's verse seventeen. Part four is the solution, and there's all those individual steps which they are to take. That's in, that's uh, verse eighteen and nineteen. And then we have, what do you call verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. What do you, I don't know what you call verse, I don't know what you call verse 20. Do you want to call it the startling invitation? Do you want to, do you want to, I'm going to call it the startling knock on the door. I don't know what else to call it. I don't know what else to call this. I'm going to call part five, the startling knock on the door. Cause don't you see how startling that is? See, this is not about Jesus knocking on the door of your heart it has nothing to do with the door of your heart. Jesus is knocking on the door of the church. They are so blind. They are so lukewarm. They don't realize that the church, in a sense, has become so messed up. Jesus is outside of the church. Jesus is outside of your church knocking. Jesus is knocking on the door of your church. like, And you go open the door and he's like, hey, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus is outside of the church. Hey, is there anyone in there? Is there anyone in there who realizes how blind they are, how naked they are, how how poor they really, how wretched they really are? Does anyone see? Because you you need to open the door and 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 basically I, I need to become come back in. I don't even know what that is. An amazing, amazing verse, right? So part one, we have the introduction or the prologue. Part two. We have the the warning, verses 15 through 16. Hey, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Then verse 17, we have their ignorance, their blind. That's part three. We have their ignorance and their blindness. Part four is the solution uh, that God offers. And that's found in verse 18 and 19, where we should say the solutions, because there's a, there's a, a lot of steps to it. Then we have the startling uh, knock on the door in verse 20. And then in verse 21, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome and am set down with my father in his throne. Here's this, I don't know what you want to call it. I'm, we're going to call this the, the promise. There's a great promise here. But there's a conditional promise, right? That's part six. We'll call it the promise. And then part seven, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. We're going to call this part seven, the admonition to hear. Verse 22. 
right? You want me to give you that outline one more time? I, of course you do. Of course you do, right? I'm going to actually pick up my iPad now so that I can see it a little bit better. Here we go. Part one is the introduction. That's in verse 14. Part two is the warning, right? The warning. Part two is verses 15 through 16. The warning is, hey, don't be lukewarm or he's going to spit you out of the mouth. Verse Part three is verse 17, and this is their ignorance and their blindness. They don't even see their condition. Part four is the solutions the Lord offers, and these are found in verses 18 through 19. Part five is the startling knock on the door, verse 20. Part six is the promise found in verse 21, and part seven is the admonition to hear. There is the breakdown of this last message to the last church in the book of Revelation. And some will argue the church is not mentioned again after Revelation 3.22, that there's no more words to the church. Now you can, that, that's a clear dispensational approach. Others will absolutely argue against that, just so that you know. All right. Now, what do we want to focus on? Well, let's go back to the whole lukewarm, like I'd rather you be hot. I'd rather you be cold. But lukewarm is the thing that's going to get you thrown. Like, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? So I'm just going to borrow from one commentary because I think it's kind of interesting and you can see what you, what you think here. All right? Here we go. All right? Very simply, this is how this commentary starts. Very simply, the problem is this. The works of the Laodicean believers nauseated the Lord. So it's not that they're not working; they are working. Now we see. Let's see if the text bears out that this is what he is upset with. All right. Let's see if if we if that stays true here. All right. I know thy uh, Revelation three fifteen. I know thy works. So it's the works here. They are working. They are doing things. But God is, seems to be nauseated at their works. He, he seems not to be happy with their work. But it seems odd the way it's described. Because I don't think most preachers state it this way. And you can tell me whether you agree or not. We'll put this as kind of a, a hypothesis. And you can, you can tell me whether you agree. Many people wrongly think that hot water is good and cold water is bad. They think that we should be hot in our service for Christ, not cold. Yet if that were true, the, these verses make absolutely no sense. Why would Jesus prefer believers to be cold in their service for him over being lukewarm in their service for him? Obviously, it's not Good, it's not, uh, obviously, if hot is good and cold is bad, then lukewarm is obviously better than cold. Both hot and cold are good here. Hot water is good to drink. So hot water is good to drink. So too is cold uh, water. However, lukewarm water is not. Now, I think that's a very important distinction here because I think a lot of people preach it this way. God wants you to be hot. Or he would rather you prefer you just to be cold. One or the other. Because at least you're, there's, there's a distinction made. But lukewarm, no. Now, they're, they're making an argument that, no, 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 no. The hot and cold are both good. 
It's not about the temperature of your supposed works that, that hot, hot and cold are both good. Lukewarm is the bad thing. Now, I don't know if I'm completely convinced of that theory. If we go, if we go, um, hang on, uh, Siri wants to ask me a question here. Okay, there we go. All right. I said, whatever I said, my iPad decided to start talking to me. All right. So here we go. Listen to me carefully. If we go with the concept, because remember the issue with the church of Laodicea seems to be that they're blinded, right? That they're, they're kind of so like, Hey, we're good to go. They, they can't see. So if we put hot and cold as like actual temperatures of one's spiritual life, of one's spiritual condition, and hot being like you're passionate, you're on fire for God, and cold meaning you're absolutely just dead and you don't care. I, you could argue the reason God's like, I prefer you to be hot or cold because hot, you would know that you're on fire for God and you have that zeal and passion and cold. You would, there would be no mistake in it. You wouldn't, you would know. I know I'm wretched and poor and blind and naked. I know my condition, but lukewarm, you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. So maybe that's why God hates the lukewarm because the lukewarm, you can't see, you can't perceive, you don't understand, you don't realize your own spiritual condition, which makes you in a much more vulnerable and dangerous way. If you're cold, you know it. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about church. I don't care about God. I don't care about doctrine, theology, anything. I, I tend to see hot and cold here. They go with the perspective and I, which I'd never seen before. So I thought I would at least share it as a hypothesis. Hot and cold are good. It's the lukewarm that's bad. The only reason I have a problem with that is the whole issue is verse 17. He's going to spew them out of the mouth. Why? Because thou, they say, I'm rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest, and they know not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. See, to me, the lukewarm corresponds with the blindness when you're spiritually lukewarm, I mean, hey, I'm not cold. I'm not like dead to God. I mean, I may not be as excited about God as I once was, but I mean, I still am right there. I'm still doing things. I'm still doing works. I'm, I'm still, I still care. To me, the lukewarm corresponds with the blindness. They're making it. No, 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 no. Hot is good. Cold is good. Lukewarm is bad. Now, I don't know which way you want to go with that. I don't know which way you want to go, but listen, here, here's what they do here. Now let's, let's listen to how they handle this. All right. Here, here's what we, no, I'm going to read this again. All right. Because I, I do believe there is some interest. I do believe you would think lukewarm would be better than cold. You would think that, but if lukewarm is the thing that blinds you, then lukewarm would actually be worse than cold. Right. But Okay. So let's read this again, right? I, but sometimes I, I, I'll just, I'll try to, coral, cor, try to make a correlation here, something that may make sense. I've often said, and I don't know how true this is in 2023, but there was a time here in West Texas trying to find someone who 
didn't claim to be a Christian was almost like going on a treasure hunt. You're like, could I find, is there anyone here who doesn't claim to be a Christian? It doesn't matter where the person was. It doesn't matter. You could find the person underneath the overpass with a heroin needle in their arm and, and, you know, and had stolen a hundred thousand dollars worth of whatever. I mean, criminal drug addict. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Like you couldn't, it didn't matter where you found a person. Everyone claimed to be a Christian because we're in West Texas. Who isn't a Christian? It's like, you're a Texan, you're a Christian. That's how it was. Now, I'm not saying it's that way so much in 2023, but there was a time. And sometimes that could be frustrating, right? Because if you tried to talk to someone about Christ, they're like, well, I'm a Christian. But I'd be like, Are you, okay. Oh. All right, and I guess so. I, I guess, I mean, they don't read their Bible. They don't care about the Bible. They don't care about theology. They don't go to church. They don't care about anything. They don't listen to sermons. They don't. But they're, and you're, and sometimes you would just like, could I find someone who is clearly, look, I don't care about God. I hate the whole concept. Thank you. Thank you. Now we can talk. Cause trying to start with someone who claims to be a Christian who don't, doesn't even really seem to care about anything related to God. Sometimes it's like, how do you even have that conversation? So I've always understood hot is like, okay, there's someone on a zeal. There's someone who's, who's ice cold. Okay. That's easier to start a conversation. They're just absolutely opposed. They're, they're not convinced that they're a Christian. They know they're not a Christian. But when you're, when you meet someone, they're like, well, I'm a Christian, but they just, they can't even see their own spiritual. They're just completely blinded to it because they're just kind of lukewarm to it. What do you do? You, you can't really challenge them. You can't really do anything for them. I've always understood lukewarm that way. Their approach is radically different. So let me read this again. And you can tell me how you approach it. I think, I think this is at least good for, for conversation. Still doesn't answer the question, what does it mean to be spewed out of his mouth? But I, I think we're, we're getting some answers here. So here we go. All right, we're going to put them all together. Just stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. All right. Here we go. Says, very simply, the problem is this. The works of the Laodicean believers nauseated the Lord. Many people wrongly think that hot water is good and cold water is bad. Thus, they think that we should be hot in our service for Christ, not cold. Yet, if that were true, these verses make no sense. Why would Jesus prefer believers to be cold in their service for him over them being lukewarm in their service for him? Obviously, if hot is good and cold is bad, then lukewarm is better than cold. I, my argument is the lukewarm is why they're blinded, but that's my own thoughts. But both hot and cold are good here. Hot water is good to drink. So is cold water. However, lukewarm water is not. The Laodicean believers were like lukewarm water. That is, they were not pleasing to the Lord. Their works displeased him. Believers whose works are displeasing to the Lord face the possibility of divine discipline, just as one might spit lukewarm water out of his mouth. So the Lord warns that he is about to judge the Laodicean believers. Thus, the Lord is saying that if the Laodicean believers don't wake up right away and change their behavior, he's going to discipline them, possibly to the point that he will take them home prematurely and remove the witness of this church. Wow. So they are liking the being spit out of his mouth as divine discipline, chastisement, judgment. All right, some kind of judgment, not 
a loss of salvation, not proving you were never saved, but that this would be God chastising so that they can see. He's going to bring chastisement so they can truly see their spiritual condition. Right? It's kind of like the whole concept of church discipline as articulated in 1 Corinthians. The church turns someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, not the soul, right? so that they can wake up and see how bad their situation really is spiritually. That seems to be the same concept. So let's go through this, all right? Historically, when it comes to this idea of being spit out of his mouth, you have, you can write these down. You have basically theory number one, this teaches you one can lose their salvation. You can lose your salvation. Now, here's the problem with that one. I can lose my salvation if I'm lukewarm. I would need very specific, clear guidelines to immediately identify what a lukewarm Christian is, because the minute I entered into that, then I would be, I would be in danger of being spit out of his mouth. How long can you be lukewarm before you lose your salvation? Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? Are you given a text notification? I'm sorry, you've lost your salvation. You've been spit out of the mouth of God. How do you even know if you lost it? Like that, that theory is so like, so what people do is like, well, I mean, you know, you really like they, they start trying to qualify it. And at some point they almost so water it down that it really doesn't mean anything. If I can lose my salvation the minute I'm lukewarm in my Christian life, then I'm telling you, you then I don't know who's saved because we all are lukewarm, depending on how you even define what that means. We're not passionate. We're not hot. Okay, well, just lukewarm Christianity can make you lose your salvation. Well, then that clearly means your salvation is based off what you do and based off works. So that one doesn't work. That one doesn't work. The second theory is, okay, this proves, see, if you are truly saved, you will be hot and passionate for God. But if you are lukewarm, that could call into question your salvation. Okay, well, now once again, what does it mean to be lukewarm? And if lukewarm calls into question my salvation, then my salvation is obviously not determined by the imputed righteousness of Christ and his finished work. It's now determined somehow by what I do. And it's the tip. It's not just what I do. It's the temperature of what I do because they're doing works, but it's lukewarm. What does that, what does that mean? What does that mean? Do you have an answer? I don't have it. I don't have it. Does anybody have an answer? I don't know. See, that one doesn't work either because once again, you're, you're, de- you're destroying the doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of an imputed righteousness alone. I think what this is, is that this is a warning that as a believer, we can become so lukewarm in our spiritual lives that we become blinded to our actual spiritual condition. We can't see it. We don't even recognize it. That we're walking around as a Christian thinking that we're good because we're doing some works and we cannot realize, I'm going to read the words specifically from verse 17. We're going to be walking around saying, I'm rich. I've got all black. Maybe, maybe it's fit. Maybe it's material wealth. Maybe you think you have a, a, a spiritual wealth. Whatever it is, you're like, I'm rich or I'm blessed by God. I'm blessed beyond measure, whatever the case may be. And you're going to say, I don't need anything. I've got everything. 
but you know not that, that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I think the lukewarm, I, I, this is just my own hypothesis. It's connected with the blindness. That this is a warning to you as a believer that you, that as believers, we can become so lukewarm that we don't even really acknowledge or see what our spiritual condition is. And then the warning is God will spew you out of his mouth. There'll be some kind of judgment so that you will then be confronted and so that you can see how bad you really are. There'll be some kind of chastisement that the threat is God will bring. He chastises those he loves. What does that chastisement look like? I don't know. And the text does not, and the Bible doesn't tell me exactly what it looks like. But we want, as a child of God, that God will do something that will be a slap in the face. Boom! Look at how lukewarm you are. Boom! Look how blind you are. Boom! Look at how poor you really are. Boom! Look at how naked you really are. Boom! Look at how miserable you are. Boom! Look at how wretched you are. Now, when that happens, I don't know. How long it takes for it to happen, I don't know. It's not about losing your salvation. It's about God saying, it's almost like a wake-up call. Because being lukewarm is, corresponds with being so ignorant of your actual condition. Now, the real question to me then, what is the solution? The solution is in 18. And there's a number of them. And what does it mean? How do you do these things? Now, I believe I have a commentary here. And I may have to leave you with this to work on. I think I've answered your, hopefully I've answered your question to some level. All right. Um, Let me go here. Let me see if I can find this here. Let me see. Give me one second. Because I... I don't think I have this commentary ready to go, but let's see if I can find it here. If we go to verse... Now, it says part 17. Okay, here we, or well, part 17. It says the solution, the solution, all right? And they cover verse 17 through 19. They say part of the solution, according to verse 17, is to recognize that we have a problem. Now, they say that's verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, thou, and knowest not that thou art poor, wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now, I don't know how you're supposed to recognize that you are in the condition. I think the only way to recognize that you're in the condition, God would have to spew you out of his mouth in some way, shape, or form, which is some kind of divine discipline, so that you see. They're saying that part of the solution is you have to see, but can you just make yourself see? If you're lukewarm, you can make yourself see. That seems to be the issue. Lukewarm is connected to the blindness. They're like, you've got to see, but do they tell us how we can find out how to recognize this? Now, here we go. It says, if you're not actively serving Christ, the first step to the solution is to admit your works are not right and that you need to change. So I don't, I don't know exactly how that works. That like, they, they seem to say that you've got to somehow figure this out. And I, I don't know where, I don't know how that supposedly works. Right. And then um, they skip everything else. Um, OK, here we go here. Now they, they, they kind of jump down. They go they go immediately to like verse 19 to 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 repent and to be zealous. But then they, they, they finally come down. And then here's what they say here. All right. All right. 
back to verse 18 of Revelation 3, here the Lord counsels the believers at Laodicea and all of us regarding what to do to solve our problem. They are to buy some things. Number one, refined gold. Number two, white garments. And then I solve a, some kind of eye ointment, right? Not that these things, now it says, note that these things are not free. The recipient must buy them. It would be odd if this referred to eternal life because within the book of Revelation, as well as the gospel of John and the rest of the New Testament, eternal life is absolutely free, right? Whosoever desires, let him take of the, of, of the, of the water of life freely. Eternal life is free. The gold, white garments, and, and ointment are not free. A similar statement is found one chapter early in Revelation 21, 6. I will give thee the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. The gold clothes and the eye ointment are clearly not meant to be taken literally. They represent what prodigal believers need. The refined gold represents eternal treasure, eternal rewards, the true spiritual riches the readers lack. The white garments represent looking good spiritually, to be clothed well spiritually. We need the Lord's approval and the eye ointment represents the ability to see spiritual reality clearly. Believers who deny their sin problem do not see well spiritually. We cannot expect to make much progress in understanding the Bible unless we are walking with fellowship with Christ. He only grants insight to those who are seeking him. Verse 18 does not state the price that the Laodiceans are to pay. That is stated in the following verse, uh, which seems to be, be zealous and repent. So to say the way we do this is by being zealous, if we're zealous and repent, then we're able to buy the gold, the garment, and the eye ointment. I, I don't know about that. This is where it gets a little perplexing to me. Now, I do agree it does say buy, meaning that this has nothing to do with our eternal life, right? This has nothing to do with salvation. But how do we buy it? How do we buy it? Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, what are, I, I would challenge you. I don't know if I have any good answers here. What could the gold be? What could the gold be? They said the gold represents eternal treasure, eternal rewards. I, how do I buy eternal rewards? How do I buy spiritual riches? I, that one, that makes no sense. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to do something here. That is of no help. I don't, I don't like that one, right? Revelation 3, it's, we're told to start buying all these things in verse 18. I'm going to do, I'm sorry to hit the microphone right there. I'm going to pull up every... Okay, I'm going to go pull up every commentary I can find here. All right. Um, all right, some, okay, one person suggests that gold here stands for faith. Does not, however, the self-deceiving state of the church rather point to love as the missing grace? The Laodiceans were as those who had many graces in appearance. They were not unlike those who had gifts, tongues, and understanding, but lacked the fervent love. 
So they're saying the gold, one says gold represents faith. The other says gold represents love. I, I don't know. Like, I, what is that? Um, let's see here. Does anybody else know what to do here? Um, to buy this gold by giving something of equal value in exchange, they were truly unable they they i they don't really identify what this gold is so this one doesn't really help us what this gold is I, i'm going to click on another one all right that one is of no use all right uh let's see here okay here i'm looking i'm looking all right that's not helping. That's not helping. Looking here. Okay. I counsel thee to buy me of gold tried in the fire. Now, there may be many different ways of putting the thought that is conveyed here, but I think the deepest truth of human nature is that the only wealth for a man is the possession of God. And so instead of, as many commentators do, suggesting interpretations which seem to me to be inadequate, I think we go to the root of the matter when we find the meaning of the wealth which Christ counsels us to buy of him and the possession of God himself, who is our true treasure and durable riches. So they say the gold is... They say the gold is Christ God. How do you buy that? I don't know how you buy that. That makes no sense. Um, how do you, I don't understand any of these attempts. Um, I counsel thee to buy me of gold tried in the fire, pure gold, such has been subjected to the uh, action of heat to purify it from dross. Gold here is emblematic of religion as being the most precious of the metals. That, I don't even know what that means. These things are horrible at helping us out here. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, see, this one, buy of me gold tried in the fire by which is meant either a more pure and glorious state of the church. Like, I, that doesn't make any sense. Like, all of these commentaries use lots of words, but none of them make any sense. This is the supposed solution. Hey, you're lukewarm. And your lukewarmness has caused you to be so blind. And you, you have, and because you don't even realize your spiritual condition, you are a mess. The only solution here then is you need three things. You need gold that is tried in the fire. You need that so you can be rich. You need white raiment so that you may be clothed and, uh, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And you need to anoint thine eyes with eyesolve that thou may, mayest see. And then as many as I love are rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. But see, you have to buy it. Someone uh, said works. I, I don't know how we, I don't think we can, do we buy these things with our works? I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that works either. I don't have a good solution here. I mean, we, we could go listen to 50 sermons. We're going to get 50 different ideas. See, up to this point, it's pretty straightforward. I think there has to be some connection or correlation here, right? There has to be. So I'm just going to throw out some ideas. I'm going to throw out some ideas. I'm going to throw out some ideas. Now, none of these are going to work perfectly, all right? And, and I don't even know if I've got this fleshed out, right? 
I don't, I don't even know if I have this fleshed out. I, I love working through these solutions with you. I could just go borrow from things I've been taught. I, I like to throw aside all presuppositions and always start brand new here, right? I always like to start brand new because by doing that, hopefully it pulls you in and you're not just passively listening to me going blah, 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 just giving you the answers that I've been taught. Forget what I've been taught. I always try to throw aside and try to pull you in so that we can try to work on this together. I think we've done a good job. I, I will take some, I think, I think I can take some happiness, some satisfaction that I think we've done a very good job breaking down 14, 15, 16, and 17. 18 has to be tied somehow to those things. So here is my thinking. All right. All right. All right, guys. All right. Uh, Okay, someone's wife quoted Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 22. All right, good. I like when someone throws a cross-reference at me. I was going in a possible different direction, but let's, let's check it out. Let's check it out. All right, let's go. Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 22. Now, if the wife says it, we know it's not right. Okay, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. We know it has to be right. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there is your, uh, your heart also. I think that's where one of the commentaries tried to go, that this is like we're buying ourselves by doing good works. We're laying up spiritual treasure. So then that is, that is then gold that is refined in the fire. But I just don't know. I, I just don't, I don't know if that's the solution. Like if I, they're already doing works. They're just doing the wrong kind of works because the works are, so now this is like, now I need the right kind of works that are purified and, and, and by doing the works, I'm buying them. Therefore, I'm setting up treasure. I don't, maybe I, I just think that that falls apart. So I, I'm trying to put it together this way. And I, none of this works really from a buying perspective either. The buying thing is what really throws us off, Right. Uh, let's just, uh, I counsel thee to buy. I mean, that's the, that's the part that just like, absolutely like, you know, immediately this is not dealing with salvation because we're not, we don't buy that, right? That's been purchased for us. So this is something we do. So if we go through the context here, all right, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, you could be spewed out of my mouth. And the reason you may have to be spewed out of my mouth is because you can't see. You don't even realize it. So what you need then is to buy of me something. Well, whenever I think of gold that's tried in the fire, gold that is tried in the fire, that is trial and suffering, right? Doesn't first Peter talk about that? Gold tried in the fire. If I'm spewed out of his mouth, that puts me in a position where I'm going to suffer. Well, how do I suffer? In a sense, I, if I, by faith, like I have to exercise faith in the suffering so that I can see that there's a purpose in the suffering to hopefully let me see. So in a sense, I'm buying it by suffering and suffering in a way that allows myself to see the suffering as trying to get rid of that blindness so that I can truly see my condition. So then I will no longer be blind and I can see because look at what exactly he says will happen here. Why? You buy, you buy the gold so that you may be, uh, that, well, no, so that you may be rich. See, that's, uh, 
So, okay, my way doesn't work either. My way doesn't work either. Never mind. Because when I think of tr- a gold tried by fire, it, I think of trials. But maybe trials is what make us rich, right? Does the Bible speak of trials lead to blessing? Hey, if I suffer the trials by faith, does those trials not become beneficial to me spiritually? So then I become rich. See, it's, it's gold tried by fire. That's the part that, can, the only thing I can think of scripture that refers to gold tried by fire is trials and Peter. And I think in Proverbs, is it Proverbs that speaks, I think of scripture of God's word being tried by fire, that it's like purified by fire. Well, this wouldn't be like, go buy a Bible. I said, I don't, I don't get that. But in trials, there is something I'm paying because I'm suffering. I'm enduring it. And if I'm enduring it by faith, then I see the trial as ultimately to my great spiritual benefit. In fact, I become rich through the trial. Right? I'm, I'm thinking there's something here. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, I'm looking here. I'm looking here. Um, is it First Peter? Is it First Peter? Oh, we're already at 60 minutes. Unbelievable how time goes by. All right. Um, yeah. How about First Peter chapter 1, verse 6? Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold, manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, that it be tried with fire, it might be found under the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love and whom you, uh, whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. All right. So it doesn't say that we become rich, but it does seem to say that the try, the trying of your faith is a good thing. There's something good that comes from that. We become rich because we, it purifies, it pours, it takes away all of those things that, that we're miserable and that we're wicked and that we, we can't see. It's the trying that purifies. Fire purifies. I, I, I'm not saying it's perfect, but wait a minute. It becomes more complicated. It becomes more complicated because the next part is, right? There's the, there's the gold that we're to buy, all right? We come rich. There's the white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Now, what is the white raiment that we purchase? Well, that cannot be the imputed righteousness because we don't purchase that. So is the white raiment practical godliness? Practical godliness, right? Which we do pay, I guess, in a sense, by trying to mortify the flesh and, and trying to put on, put off the old and put on the new, that there's a payment that's involved because effort is involved. And then we anoint our eyes, that we anoint our eyes. Now, the anointing, we buy, we buy the gold. And I guess we buy the raiment. 
That's saying, but then do we buy the the anointment, the eye solve that we hear that's mentioned? Do we buy that? Or do we just anoint our eyes with it? Is this something we don't buy? Something we just anoint our eyes with? Now, now that this comes into a whole grammatical situation and the structure of the sentence. Does the buying carry through all the way to the eye or does the buying only involve the gold and the garment? If the eye ointment is just something we anoint, then I think we could argue, how do we anoint our eyes with God's word? Because God's word is what opens our eyes to see, right? Maybe. I don't know, but I'm going to have to stop there because we're already at 63 minutes. None of those are perfect. I none, none of those. I do like the idea of, I mean, the cross-reference to Matthew 6 is interesting. I mean, it is like we're storing up riches. We're, we're trying to get rich, okay? But it's this is gold purified in the fire. And I, I don't think any of my good works are ever purified in the fire, right? They're always, I don't, I don't, ah, I don't know about that one. I struggle with that one. Someone said, thank you. I don't, thank you for what? I, I, all I've done is probably confused everyone. But so just in a quick review, the problem in the church of Laodicea was that the people had become so lukewarm that it blinded them to their own spiritual condition. And because they were lukewarm, they're going to be spit out. That lukewarm being spit out does not mean losing salvation because well, then you would never even know if you lost it. If you got like, it would just be confusing. And I don't even know how that you would even measure that or even know that. And what does that even mean? And you would have to so water it down because people are lukewarm all the time. I don't know. I'm lukewarm sometimes in my Christian life. And so are you. What does that even mean? The second, it like, if you say, well, no, this proves your salvation. Well, if your salvation is proved by the temperature of your Christianity, then how, how are you ever going to know if you're saved? That one doesn't work. So I think that this proves that these are believers and they've become so lukewarm that they're blind. And God is like, hey, I'm going to have to judge you. I'm going to have to bring chastisement upon you. And hopefully that chastisement will be the thing that will hopefully see your condition. And that seems to fit with the gold tried by fire because that that's your faith needs to be tried by fire so it can be purified. It's purified through trial and tribulation and, and, and going through difficulty. And you'll be rich because now you're being purified. But then you need a garment and that's pursuing and paying for practical righteousness because that's going to cost you. And then you need, I don't think you buy the third one. You anoint your eye with God's word. So that you can see. And then once you see, guess what you're going to do? Once you, because now you can truly see your condition. And once you can see your condition, then guess what goes next? You're going to repent because now you can truly see. You're going to see, oh, look how bad off I am. You can give me your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. I know that was not perfect. I know that. And I apologize for it. But I wanted us to work together. So continue to read it. Continue to think about it. Continue to meditate on it. And, well, we can talk about it more later. All right. There you go. Everyone have a great Saturday. I'm going to go see what's going on in the world of college football. Does that mean I'm lukewarm? See how that... See how that could lead you to never ending your spiritual life. You would never know what to do with your life. Okay.
All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for the email question because, hey, you gave me a broadcast to do. So thank you. All right. Everyone have a great day. God bless.